Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm kidding. Uh, I'm kidding. Welcome, guys, to Too Obscure for TV, our new show, or kind of a continuation of an old show. But it's the same people you recognize, David and my friend Dean. Hello. We're going to take every week a step at a time with what movies we want to see in the present. In October, we're focusing in on the scary stuff, like every October. We're going to be doing a lot of horror types things this month. And I've... Well, Dean, why don't you... What have we started off here with? I fucking hate you so goddamn much. (laughs) Yeah, I hate myself after this one, but... Uh, yeah, so the movie you had us watch was Tatane. It was a French body horror movie that people have been calling either the most disturbing film of the last, like, decade or the most artistically expressive film of this generation. And we watched it, and it was a lady who got impregnated by a 67 Cadillac. Yeah, that's about correct. Uh, a lot of questions after this one, certainly. This is a, a French film, uh, like Dean said, body horror. And this was heavily marketed to me on a bunch of you know podcasts I was wa- watching. And it, it piqued my interest simply for the premise line, like Dean said. Girl gets impregnated by car. <laughs> Sorry, serial killing girl gets impregnated by car. That's true. I mean, what is not to say about this because... I have zero experience with the director in question, Julia DeCourneau. Yeah, her only other feature film is the movie Raw from 2016. That's the one that won a bunch of like festival stuff, and people were saying uh, they would run out of the theater and like throw up because it was like super gross. And that's interesting. I mean, she certain that mean, must mean she certainly has a style because I don't think that ever got to that level in this movie. We did have somebody fall asleep in the theater we watched this in. Oh my god, yeah. So this is an interesting bit, is we did just get out of seeing this movie. We went and saw it at Dean's local AMC, you know, in person. The real movie-going experience. It's it's a new release. How else could you do it? And the funny thing is it's a 2.30 showing that we went and saw, and for some reason this is the movie that a guy decides to take a nap in the middle of. And not like a, a quiet nap. He was snoring really loud through like most of the movie which was weird because the movie's kind of long what is it like the movie's like 108 minutes so it's not a short movie and he was gone pretty early in like had to have been within the first first 15 20 minutes i don't think he got to the first kill i think i heard him snoring like before we have the um main the main character alexa kill somebody right and What's especially weird is then he would snore really loudly through some fairly jarring and erotic sex scenes slash kill scenes that were quite like, I don't know, it's quite the lullaby. Don't know why he wouldn't have chosen something like Adam's Family 2 to go (laughs) take a nap. Uh, Who knows? Yeah, I mean, that provided a lot of fun in the middle of all of the, um, well, you could say this movie is for somebody that might like Fast and the Furious meets... uh, Oh, I don't know. Videodrome, sc- the fly, scanner. I don't know. This is a weird movie. 
I'm just going to open up with, this is a weird movie, so reservations to the listening public if you're going to go see sure. this. Sure. I think we, it should be obvious. We're going to get really spoilery in this, but David, do you want to give a quick should you or shouldn't you go to this or quick review thing before we start spoiling everything? Yeah, uh, definitely spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. This show is probably going to be a much heavier in spoilers than our previous one because we're going to be doing a lot more new movies like this, so that's just a, a new listener slash continuing listener warning. Uh, I will run into the plot rundown right now. So basically, our main character, Alexia is a child as we open and in the middle of a kind of a more than an accident than a normal car accident would be her father reaches back to tell her to put her seatbelt on and her head cracks against the window which results in our main character having a plate in her head also a weird erotic fixation on cars yeah. yeah. Fast forward to the present. Alexia is now kind of this car show dancer, uh, go-go dancer of sorts. Very good at what she does. Very passionate about what she does and has garnered a following. One of which uh, follows her to her car, which becomes her first kill in the movie. Thus results in us finding out that this is not her first rodeo, per se, and nor is it going to be her last, as we will get quite the body count throughout the rest of the movie. But, you know... Mm-hmm. Dean and I were sitting in the theater thinking, when is it? When is it going to happen? And of course, we finally get it. She quite literally has sex with a car. You know, shocker. Straight up has sex with a car. And the car is alive for this. Because it's like moving and like responding to her advances. It is fairly like animatedly abstract. Regardless... This results in, of course, our main character getting what everybody came for, impregnated with a car, per se. We'll find out later if that fully comes to fruition. And throughout most of the rest of the movie, we get like this uh, killer-on-the-run story uh, that also results in a very... uh, The way I interpret it is a kind of a French New Wave tangent that takes the logic of it could happen. It doesn't mean it's related to our subject, but it could happen. Which thus uh, results in her taking the identity of a missing person who she then spends most of the movie with this missing person's father, who they form kind of this father-son relationship. He's a fireman, and he's trying to get her back on the force. <laughs> I am not kidding. This is this sounds ridiculous coming out of my mouth, but, you know. It's really weird. You know, hilarity ensues, and, and the stakes get greater as she becomes more and more pregnant, and he becomes more and more attached. And eventually we finally are paid off with the birth of the prodigal son. (laughs) The fucking car baby. Which I'm at this point without, we'll get into the imagery of it later. I'm convinced is the origin story for Wolverine because the kid comes out with motor oil and metal bones. So yeah, it has a metal spine. We are closing out on the movie with this, you know distraught parent that once thought this individual was her son maybe question mark because of the theory demon have now is left with the child of a lovely tricked out uh low rider cadillac and a killer on the run cut to black that's just about what happened in this movie yeah and the best part is we explained basically everything that quote-unquote happens and there's still a shit ton of stuff that is else is going on this movie is so weird yeah like as i explained to my significant other when i got home 
I I was thoroughly interested most of the movie, right? Yeah. It doesn't it's not boring per se. And it's shocking in a good way. It's just that at the end of it you're kind of left with like what the fuck happened for 80% of that? Because there's like that one scene at the beginning where she has sex with the car and you're left most of the movie getting just bits and pieces of that. And then you're finally left with the climactic end, which is the result of that you've been waiting for the whole time. And you're like, but what was all of this like pseudo feel good redemption story esque? I don't know. It's, it's fascinating. It's weird because you can almost describe certain sections of the film as kind of wholesome. Yeah. With it's like, oh, the father and son, or, or I guess the father and the woman serial killer hiding in the guise of his lost son are bonding and like coming together as a family unit. And it's like a really sweet relationship. And then you remember this woman is giving birth to a car, to a car baby. And it really throws you out of the loop when her stomach starts ripping open. You see yeah. titanium underneath. It's it's an interesting film. Oh, certainly. I, I would like to start maybe the conversation more in earnest by reading the opening of an excerpt from Time Magazine's review on the movie titled, Titane strives to shock, but it's running on empty. <clears throat> There's a fine line between movies that are genuinely original and those that feel deliberately orchestrated to shock and repel us in a winking, self-congratulatory way. French filmmaker Julia Ducanaro alleged film scandal, Titane, in which a sullen young woman has sex with a car and finds herself pregnant, when the pomme d'or, I'm not kidding, Won the Palme d'Or. The top it prize. Won the Palme d'Or at Cannes, and that was the thing that Spike Lee got in trouble for because he told everybody that was the winner before he was supposed to. Right. In July of this year. Uh, and if you. <laughs> and even if you have a little interest in explorations of body horror, you have every reason to wonder how exactly does this sort of thing work? You might think it involves pistons, or at least the very seductive feel of rich Corinthian leather. But Ducourneau leaves that a mystery. And I think that's a good thematic place to, to start this conversation is there are so many things that when you walk into a movie, you want to be in the trust of the director when you watch this sort of thing, right? This isn't Jurassic Park where it's like, I've watched the trailer, I get it, it's dinosaurs running around on a wild island. This is like a high or low concept art film and I, I'm there to be wowed by the director that's the purpose of this type of film right i would say yes i get okay if you're arguing that this is different than jurassic park because jurassic park is like a studio production thing designed to just please audiences entertain is more along the lines of a director art interpretation of the material then yeah because this is I feel like only one person thought of this idea and this movie, and that is the director. Because that's the only person who would have made this. Well, kind of. I, I'm not saying it's bad, by the uh, way. No, I, it's actually not bad. Yeah, the, that's the that's the really odd feeling that you get at the end of the movie, is you don't think it's bad. Like, I generally would come out of this saying, like, if this is your thing, you might actually end up liking it. It's just the fact of the matter is, it's entirely bizarre, but... That belabors the point, the fact that that's kind of what this movie's supposed to do, is be bizarre. Yeah, I don't think... It's not supposed to 
be a blockbuster film. It's supposed to be this really weird pseudo-abstract art film with some deeper themes or something underneath it. And that's... I I gotta ask a question for you, David, because we were talking about this leaving the theater of what did it all mean? Like, what, what do you think is the underlying meaning or theme of the film? That's a good question because, you know, we are, despite the fact that it is filled with plenty of other bits of information that kind of take away you basically get three pieces of thematic imagery in this that's like pregnancy and maternity to me was a big one you know it's kind of the the staple sexual exploration which it's pretty sexually explorative to have sex with a cadillac so but you know there's other there's other bits in this film where, where we notice early on that the character was quite frustrated with themselves internally in that way and then there's also like familial lines you know there's her and her relationship with her parents nay uh former parents again spoiler yeah and then kind of this new relationship she's forced to form with somebody as a result of like having her nose stuffed in the piss pile that is empathy so yeah uh, there's probably a more defined theme line somewhere in there and i have yet to come to that specifically but uh, those are at least some of the things i've noticed i also noticed something else and i don't know if this is me reading too much into it but so do you think there's a theme of something going on with like transgenderism or like the gender fluidity of our main main character alexa or alexia and her her transitioning into adrian to pass as a man in hiding but she can't because she's legitimately very pregnant i think specifically the plot line of her having to be adrian might not be down that avenue but i do think that's an avenue worth exploring in the movie because of the fact that i mean her as uh, a main character seems not feminine in itself at the beginning of the movie she's not a very feminine personality other than this like hypersexuality which in itself of itself doesn't necessarily define her as feminine and i do think that you know you could probably see something in that i i think the the adrian thing was more just like i was saying more of a plot device and, and a means for conflict throughout it though there are certainly pieces that such as like when uh, the man that she is lodging with, Vincent, <laughs> the the fire captain in the movie, which again is so it's so weird that that's the tangent we go on. But regardless, uh, there there are scenes when like he he comes in to the bedroom and she has to hide away her body. That you could interpret that in our in our zeitgeist as we currently live. I don't know. That's that's an interesting point. Also, I don't know if it's a quote-unquote tangent, you know, oh, she goes into hiding and, and gets enthralled into this guy Vincent's, you know, firefighting thing. I think that's the movie. It's these two really weird, broken characters kind of coming together and dealing with the things. Yeah. But it it, it is just, it's one of those things where it's just like, that's a really weird plot thing to go on. Because also, I don't... We got to talk about this because Alexia um, is hiding in plain sight by portraying herself as uh, a boy, Adrian, who went missing when he was like 10, right? And it's like 15 years later. And she is saying, oh, I'm Adrian. I was just kidnapped and I've finally escaped and I've come home. 
judging by what the kid looked like versus what Alexia looks like, they're not even close to looking similar. Kind of. I know this was something that we had a problem with walking out of the film, and to me, part of me was like, yeah, she doesn't necessarily look like it. The movie does address it in certain ways because there's that scene when she is making the decision to take on this persona. She cuts her hair and then, you know, in classic, you're going to need to rise to the challenge fashion, breaks her own nose against a bathroom sink. Which is one of the funniest bits in the movie, right? Because she just keeps trying to punch it and she just can't. And then she's like, I'll just headbutt the sink. Yeah, and I think that scene too... It is kind of funny. It's like a symptom that the, I think the director does know what she wanted to do with this. Especially because like, that's that's really good show, show don't tell. You know, it's good technique. It could have been something where it, it was just like explained away. Like, oh, I'm going to cut my hair off and assume this identity. They really like make her go through all of the possibilities to like, I'm going to try and look as best as I can. I just think that, that it was good at punishing the main character in a way that felt more satisfying than putting the fact out there Mm. then as a result like yeah i I agree with you too it's like i was probably more uh, it's more surprising that the fire captain half of it than she has to lodge with the the father of the missing person she's assumed that makes sense the fact that she is now living in a firehouse like some dalmatian is doubly just it's interesting okay you know it's fascinating like it, it, it certainly that's one thing that, again, I will reiterate probably throughout our discussion and, and puzzling with with the plot is that the whole thing is designed very well to keep you on the edge of your seat because it never once feels like, oh, that doesn't make any fucking sense. I have no idea where we are anymore. I was constantly like, okay, what is going to happen next? Because, I mean, it's got to get us back to that point, you know? Yeah, and the thing is that the movie... Every time the movie hits a lull, then it brings you back in. Because then she starts, like, lactating motor oil. (laughs) Or she starts, like, spinning up motor oil. And you're just like, oh, wait, yeah, she's pregnant with a car baby. And I know that's, like, the gimmick thing that I keep coming back to. But it's kind of true. And the moments that it does lull, the movie can also does also these weird, interesting things. We're always on this thing where... Is Alexia going to get found out by Vincent? Does Vincent already know that Alexia is not his son? And then, like, the mom comes in. And then it's the whole thing of, like, the mom already knows. Oh, absolutely. That as soon as she walks in, that that's not not her son. Yeah. And then she kind of realizes Vincent is just so desperate for the son back that he'll just lie to himself just to have somebody. Pretty much. That scene was very interesting because it... It's the, in a way, it's like the most shocking bit of the movie. That moment when she bursts into the bedroom after this awkward dinner where they're all like still, yeah, this is Adrian, blah, blah, blah. And she goes into the bedroom because mom and dad need to talk. And she starts like scratching at herself, which she's been bothered by her stomach, obviously, because there's a carbon fiber balloon forming in there. Uh so she's scratching in her stomach and the motor oil is everywhere. And then the mom bursts in and you're, that's the oh shit part of the movie, right? You think the jig is up. Yeah. This bitch is caught. And no, in fact, the, the person just looks at her. And I think there's like this interesting moment that this is one reason I think that uh, having the woman as a director for this concept actually really helps. As a guy, I would immediately be like, oh, she's going to be terrified that this woman is 
you know, discharging motor oil and, and that there's a hole in her stomach and she's naked and pregnant. Yeah. But the woman just kind of looks at her and I think takes pity, just like how she probably has pity on Vincent and is like, this is too much for me. I'm going to get out of here. Frankly, that's probably the POV of most average layman viewers going into this movie. <laughs> that's another thing because she is spewing motor oil from her body, but no one seems to care. Like, they're just like, oh, that's weird. But no one's like, we should take you to a hospital. Okay, I understand that she is running away from, like, a series of murders she's committed. But, David, if you saw your stomach ripping open and there was titanium inside, and you started pissing motor oil, would you would you take the gamble and go to a hospital? I'd probably visit, visit urgent care, yeah. I Like, yeah, I'd probably have to get that checked out. But that's also, you know, that's if that happened out of nowhere. This is, we're talking again about a character who just is seduced and whined and then, you know, maligned by a Cadillac with hydraulics. Like, this is all... I think that's one thing that the movie does pretty well is... And, you know, I say that, again, knowing the subject matter we're talking about, is that the setup and payoff of the whole thing keeps you interested in the whole time. And then this, again, we go back to the word tangent. The second act, as it were is just a more charactery, themey exploration of what are the implications of this. Because I was thinking about this just now, too. Take the car bit, like the body horror bit, out of the movie, and you basically have, like, just like a run-of-the-mill crime film, right? A woman who's a murderer gets pregnant, and while on the run, she has to assume the identity of a man. And then that creates all the conflict in the second act where she's hiding her pregnancy while living with the missing person's father. And at the end, when she needs to deliver her baby, the father has to decide, am I going to take pity on this person or am I going to turn them in? But then when you throw a V6 engine into that bitch. (laughs) Yeah, literal V6 engine. So I don't know. There's some part of me. Again, it's it's hard to because I know that's kind of a tangent from what we were just talking about but that's what i continue to go about is like you throw things at the the fucking hole of this movie and it just like boomerangs back at you like i don't know i don't know i don't know how to it's it's teflon you know everything bounces off of it it's like why does this not make sense bro it's a movie about a girl getting pregnant by a car it doesn't have to make sense because he's like, why is this so weird? Dude, it's a theme thing. It's art. A woman got pregnant by a car. It's fine. Yeah, because the other thing, too, is like the very artful opening of the movie where they're at the car convention. Mm. Uh, is that all done in one shot, by the way? It was a one yes. And, and it, it's a beautiful one by the way. Yeah, it was, it was thoroughly uh, an engaging and kind of really technically done shot because it goes through just an exploration of the scene. But it goes into that like really... Like, kind of un- uncomfy, but at the same time, like, artfully done dance with the main character while she's dancing on the hood of the Cadillac, getting all warm and fuzzy, but also kind of being the best at the game because she's got a bunch of fans. You know, it's... I I got a question. Have you ever been to one of these kind of car shows? No, I haven't, but I know car people, and, like, I know they exist, especially in Southern California, where, you know... yeah. 
we're, we're like the one of the number one car cultures in, in the world, or at least in the United States. Yeah. Which is another reason that the whole thing taking in place in France was just like a weird, not culture shock necessarily, but it was mirrored in a certain way where I was like, okay. Yeah, but my question is, do these like showgirl, like, I know I'm going to use a really like demeaning phrase, but the only thing I can think of, booth babes, do they have fans? Like, did people, like, follow them to, like, conventions to get autographs? I thought they were just, like, paid models to, like, stand next to the car. Granted, you know, Alexia is doing a full-blown, like, burlesque show on top of the hood of a Cadillac. It's like it's like a more skillfully done go-go dancer situation. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, it's it's erotic and it's uh, it's meant to be for entertainment, but at the same time... Kind of is actually like she probably actually has skills as a dancer, you know, like, yeah, you know, it was choreographed very well. I will give it that. And this person probably performs at these shows, which are organized sponsored events. And as a result, promotes these kinds of things on Instagram or what have you. And thus followers of her Instagram or whatever are like, because, you know, there's those moments like, can I get a selfie with you? Where are they probably posting that, you know? And then as a result, the next row below that would be the demeaning pit where it's like, okay, this is full on like I'm a stripper. But, you know, there's like that middle ground where it's like all her fans are guys for you can guess what reason. But at the same time, it's like she probably does this for a living slash hobby or whatever. No, no, she's definitely doing this for a living. I mean, when we see her as Adrian doing a very sensual dance on top of a fire engine near the end of the movie... Uh, she, she has skills as a dancer and then yeah. she has sex with a fire engine. <laughs> That's entirely true. We do not get one car sex scene. We get two car sex scenes, two of them. pregnant car sex. Nonetheless, that's really doubling down on the fetishes here. Yeah. And I'm like, it, it's a I, very, it's a very weird movie. It's a very weird yeah. movie. I will say that's probably another theme that is somewhere in there, like fetishization, you know, mm-hmm. because it certainly has to do with whatever's going on with our main character. And then opposite of that probably has to do with the world she was a part of in the beginning. We were just talking about where guys fetishize these girls that dance on cars, which might be a way that the director is taking a stab at, you know, if we're, we were talking about earlier transgenderism maybe also masculinity because there were parts in this movie where i was like at times bordering up a little homoerotic i don't know there was like are you oh are you talking about all the jacked firemen dancing um seductively with each other in the in the bar yeah with no women uh, some part of me was like okay nothing actually happened so i was like ah maybe it's just like this is the way that men in europe decompress after a day of being a paramedic i don't know but there were like just bits and pieces where i think they were this stabbing at this like masculine identity of a cars like we saw in the beginning and then b like because okay that's something that interested me about vincent right vincent takes steroids Mm. we noticed that and he says it's because he's old however the first moment we see vincent take steroids he like then goes on this like I'm mad so I'm gonna go try and do some pull ups. <laughs> he yeah yeah test his roids out. Yeah, and there's just like some bit of me that was like, 
what's going on here? Because this isn't just like a character moment where he's trying to be like mad about his son. I don't know. Well, I don't know. I think it's implied in the movie, which I I am cheating a little bit because I'm looking at like a Wikipedia page real quick, oh, and please. it's saying answer the questions if you can. The Wikipedia doesn't help, but it's saying that he's building up a immunity to steroids. Okay, and that's why that might be a thing where he's this guy who is you know. Be, who is you know the the point of masculinity in the film he's trying to be like the ultimate masculine identity he's injecting himself with steroids or testosterone to be more masculine and he's building up an immunity to it which means he's eventually going to become you know just a normal like old dude but it means his body can't take any more testosterone he's going to adopt more feminine qualities that he probably should have gotten being older mm. and then he has to take care of the baby adopting a traditional feminine role this movie's about transgenderism that's what it is well that's interesting because i i found this quote here and i think you're on to something in the larger explanation maybe not the result uh, it's a quote from du corneau this is an article from the daily beast titled <laughs> inside Titane: the wildest and sexiest movie of the year uh, that that'll be quite the high bar <laughs> to, to top if anybody can do it so I'll read this because I think it gives us a little insight into what her intentions were. I dig into imperfections because that is where humanity resides. This is where we are equal, Ducanoe tells the Daily Beast from New York City. What I find incredibly endearing is that we spend our whole lives trying to prove that we are perfect, that we are so self-assured and ready to handle anything. In my film, I try to talk about what we don't talk about and show what we don't usually show. And I think that actually explains some of the things because a lot of scenes are of characters trying to hide things. A lot of scenes are like what you just described where he's trying to compensate for this immunity that he's built up that will then give him more feminine qualities. Uh, but at the same time, it's like maybe that's one of the reasons that A, as a result of her malady, she has an attraction to this like beautifully, uh, I don't know what the word for this, whatever the the craft of body shopping is, you know, when, with cars, mm. this pimp my rioted car, <laughs> uh, that's, that is perfect in almost every way, even though it should technically be old and out of date like Vincent. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting thread to go down. And I, 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 you know, maybe recommend this article to anybody who's looking for some explanations. Um, well, I, you know, we kind of talked about this movie as a whole and, Let's go. Let's like maybe try to wrap this up into some final thoughts, you know, because ultimately well, what we w we want to do on this show going forward is we're trying to get a little bit taste of what is out there new and try and recommend that to you, the, the, the listener. And I, you might have gotten a little taste of it throughout it, but I would give this that soft like a B minus. I think this is worth digging into. I you may or may not be disappointed by the result. If it's your thing, though, you might have fun with it. I don't know if I would go so far as say a B minus. I'd probably give this like a good B B plus. I think the artistic quality is very high here. I mean the camera work across the board is really stunning, if I'm gonna be honest with you. The that opening one or you should watch it just for that. The only caveat I will give is the story will probably turn you off if you have a weak constitution. That's true. I, I would I'm going to be interested because I want to go back and watch this other movie of, of Julia's Raw. 
especially because a high reviews it's it's looking pretty good on on all of the review sites that we normally look at and b based on your explanation that people ran out throwing up you know if i i was like writhing a little bit in in uh, not quite agony but i would say that this was slightly below my experience watching um reanimator which was a pretty squirmish film mm-hmm not quite disgusting in my mind, but at the same time was enough to get me squirm, squirm in my seat. But if Raw is that disgusting, I'd be thoroughly interested to go visit that. Especially because I have a general theory that directors normally get it right in the first film. And when they try and repeat in the second film, it sometimes gets a little lost. I have that theory about the Safdie brothers too, going from Good Time to Uncut Gems. But I'll, I'll probably revisit this at some point. Well, David... Would you like a second opinion, though? Because I have some reviews up that may or may not uh, contradict your thoughts on the film. Yes, let's, uh, you know, we're Dean and I are pretty snobbish, and let's get let's get some of that general public in here. Let's see what the, the audience the, has been the saying. The people say. So, I'm going to be open with you. There's only 30 reviews on the IMDb so far, because it's a brand new movie. Sure. But I will be reading one of the one-star reviews. David... I'm going to read you the titles of them. Hmm. Pick which one you want me to want me to read out. We have Titanic Nonsense, Psychopath Cinema, So Bad I Had to Leave, and A Nihilist Movie, Yes, to Deconstruct Everything, Nothing Remains. Which would you like to hear? Jesus. Because uh, <laughs> I'm interested in the leaving the theater bit, but that won't give us a full snapshot of what the movie is let's go with that first one the uh the titanic Titanic nonsense yes yeah all right titanic nonsense by imdb i love twisted and dark pieces of art films yes mr r impen's work as a dp is great but why do we need a pseudo psychopath non-layered character like this fantasy of a human being it's just a wet dream of a music video director who wants too much fire, naked bodies, and aesthetics she hasn't seen over the years. No interest of her characters, but forcing us to be shocked. If I'm not emotional or intellectual interested, I'll never be shocked in a profound way. This movie is a symptom of the disease of PC culture and feminism going in a self-destructive direction. Let's appreciate films who care for essential questions and needs, not just for the cool, nihilist, hipster, rich girl, bad copy of Cronenberg, Crash and Drive, or whatever. Dot, dot, dot. End of review. It kind of fell apart at the end there, right? Yeah. Wow. That was rude. When she said music video director, I was like, whoa. (laughs) That's... Okay. This is better than that. Okay. I can give I can give that much. Yeah, there's shit going on here, but that was a, a different opinion. Damn. Okay. Well, you know, I, I'll get I'll, I will say one thing: they're wrong. <laughs> I, I don't think this movie, you know, is half as bad as somebody who's just shocked by the whole thing would come out to see. You know, I think our conversation revealed this, and I'm not saying that I'm going after this person for saying you should watch it again, but it's like. There's more craft and character moment than they, I think they realize. Because I, I do think that the, this main critique of the film being that the character's surface level or whatever they would define that as. We spend plenty of time with this character. And I felt like this character was 
just as confused by their situation as we were, mm-hmm. which kind of made me connect with it, her a little more. Because there were po- moments in which Alexia is thoroughly surprised and like shocked and confused by the fact that Vincent is letting her into her home. At times, a little bit, you know, a raccoon trapped in a trash can, but at times also, like, really is striving to make a connection with this person. I, I don't know. I think just because there's no dialogue doesn't mean that the character's not deep is, I think, really what's going on here. Yeah, I feel this guy, guy or gal, I actually don't know who wrote it, this is just not their cup of tea, to no. be honest. I'm assuming they were thinking this is going to be a straight, like, Cronenberg movie, and it was going to be a lot, like, crazy, weird horror stuff. But at the heart of it, it's almost like a, it's like a drama, right? There's not really a lot of horror elements involved. It's, like, noirish at times. It's, it's a little bit of that drama at times. It's a mix of a lot of good things, I, I think, in... Yeah, like, body horror is probably the main selling point. That was how I convinced Dean to go see it. But I think there's certainly bits of body horror in this. I mean, the car literally wraps around her in a tentacle-like seatbelt. Uh, and starts railing. Contraption. Just starts. Yeah. Hits that engine in the fourth gear and just keeps going. And when I see the steel placenta bursting through her stomach at one point in the movie, yeah, that's pretty jarring. Pretty jarring. So, I don't know. I... I... I think that, yeah, if Cronenberg is what you're comparing this to, you should probably just go back and watch Cronenberg because he's the king of body horror, but there's also a lot of body horror in those movies. Yeah, I, I think Titan works works on its own. I think it's actually, a, this is actually a much better movie than I think this guy gave it credit for. But, you know, to each their own. Yeah. And uh, that's probably the best way to compliment this movie. To each their own, because it gets weird. Definitely. To each their own. And if body horror or... You know, kind of these darker European, uh, grittier dramas are your thing. I recommend it. You know, th- this is tonally similar to a movie because I haven't watched a bunch of these like darker European things. But one I I remember fondly is a Jim Carrey movie actually called Dark Crimes, um, a, no- a noirish type film that follows him as a beat cop who's trying to prove the the may or may not be real murders of a like erotic novelist. Very dark and disorienting movie like this. If you've heard of that or know of movies that like what I've just described, probably for you. I recommend still give it a shot if you're into art house in general. This also won the Palme d'Or at cons, so there's there's merit here. True. So a- after a certain point, yeah, the if if the scholars are agreeing, probably something there. But yeah, so David, that's the that's the first episode of the Too Obscure for TV revival. Yeah, so it, it, interesting. It, it'll be another journey to embark on. Dean and I are going to keep it much more open and, you know, a little bit more loosey goosey as we go along. But I think we're going to get a lot more out of this exploration than we were uh, starting to find after a certain point. So, you know, come along with us. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. And I hope you enjoyed Titane. You know, Dean, every time before we close out, I think I'd like to do this. And just give our listeners a little bit of like, what do you want to watch over the next week? What's something you're going to seek out? Mine is going to be Raw. I, I think I'm going to try and go watch that and see what happens. Uh, what, what are you interested in over the next week? What's one thing? Honestly, um, going based off of this movie, I kind of want to watch 
like like one of those older Cronenberg films. Maybe maybe give Scanners a good watch over because I've already seen Videodrome. I really dig it, but people say Cronenberg's the king of body horror. I kind of want to see what's going on with that because I haven't seen that much Cronenberg. I think that sounds good. So, you know, come back next week, see if we did or did not watch those and what we thought in a short little bit before we get to the next main attraction in which Dean and I are going to delve into the current career exploits of one Nicolas Cage. We will be talking about the Nicolas Cage renaissance, the Cage-assance, uh, on our next episode. And it's going to be really fun. So look out for that one. Definitely. So for now, you can... Yeah. We'll see in a little bit. We're we're in restructuring mode right now with the new podcast, but you'll be able to find us on at least our anchor.fm, which will be rebranded for this show, Too Obscure for TV, in which you'll be able to find our back catalog of other episodes of this show and our former show, Double Feature Picture Show, if that's what you're into, as well as you can find us on the YouTube channel in the frame. We post this show, other episodes of past shows, as well as other shows Dean does. Dean, why don't you give us a little pitch on some of those? Well, the other shows I do are the Film Odyssey podcast, which is me and my brother going through cinema, trying to find the best movie ever made. Right now, we're going through the AFI Top 100. Uh, We have just recorded the first 10. So everything from Ben-Hur to Sophie's Choice, we've just recorded, and it's really fun. You should be getting all of those soon on the YouTube channel. And then we have the Film Club, which me and my girlfriend do which is a lot more like nostalgia oriented and a lot more like horror oriented where we watch things like Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, but we also do like fun, like nostalgia picks, Camp Nowhere and Adam's Family Values are on our YouTube channel as well. So give those a listen. I think uh, you'd have a lot of fun with them. It sounds like a lot of fun. Well, good first episode, I think. And uh, thanks everybody for listening. And until next week, Dean, this has been too obscure for Peace.